I, I had such a great year in 2019 that I don't give two shits about 2020. Like, yeah, just, I'm just going to let myself go into it. Like, nobody says that, right? Diz Runs Radio, episode 799. Starts in three, two, Welcome back to Diz Runs Radio, where I talk with runners from all corners of the running world about running, life, and everything in between. I'm your host, Denny Cray, and it's just about time to head out the door for an easy run and a great conversation. So if you're ready, then I'm ready. Let's get started. Hey guys, so uh, here we are in the last few days of 2019 and uh, you know as as uh, we're getting close to the new year and, and 2020 right around the corner before the sand completely runs out of the hourglass for the year you know what time it is it is the time for a little you ask I answer action uh, for those of you that have been around for a while you know what this is it's the monthly Q&A episode of the show if you're new to the show welcome this is something that we do each and every month where I take your questions sometimes serious sometimes uh not so serious questions and uh, have a little fun with it. Try to answer, try to give you a little bit of useful information when the questions are looking for useful information. Uh, hopefully a few laws all along the way, no matter what, and uh, spit it out towards the end of each month with the monthly listener Q and a uh, episode. And so if you haven't, if you want to get questions featured in 2020, with the new year being right around the corner, the best way to do so is to head over and join the uh, the group on Facebook, the Diz Runs Tribe. If you just uh, point your browser to dizruns.com slash Facebook, it'll take you right there. You click, uh, you know, request to join. We'll let you in. And if you're, you know, just on Facebook, all you got to do is search for the Diz Runs Tribe, click to join the group, and uh, we'll be happy to, to have you part of the, the mass as we uh, continue the mission of creating the, the best Facebook group that there is. I mean, not the biggest, but certainly, hopefully, one day, classed as the best and uh, lots of fun, lots of things planned for 2020, um, which I'm excited to, to kind of roll out and see how things go and, you know, continue to tweak and adjust and whatnot as, as we do so. But, uh, you know, towards the middle of each month, there'll always be a post that comes up that says, Hey, what are your questions? You put your questions in the comments. I answer them, and that's how these listener Q&A episodes come to pass. So join the party, disruns.com slash Facebook. And now, without any further ado, because we got a bunch of questions, let's uh, let's get after it. First one, getting right down to business from Miss Maya says, uh, so can you explain strides? Why and how often should they be done? So strides are one of those things that, that quite honestly, I don't, I don't stress them as much as I probably should, because uh, there definitely are benefits to strides, and and uh, it's something that, that that is one of those terms I think in a lot of running circles where everybody kind of talks about them like they kind of know what they are, but but there's kind of different definitions from one person to the next as far as what they exactly mean, what they exactly entail. But in in short, strides are, are kind of taken during an easy run, during an easy day, where you kind of pick up the pace for. Somewhere between like, I like to keep it short. So 20 to 30 seconds. Some people say up to like a minute. Again, there's, there's variance here depending on who you're talking to, but short and sweet where you're picking up the pace, kind of cruising at top, at top, not quite full sprint, but kind of at like 5k or just a little bit faster than 5k pace, maybe tempo type of pace, tempo pace to like 800 meter repeat pace, something like that. Um, for only a handful of seconds, you know, and then you're ramping back down to normal, easier run pace. And that whole cycle has taken maybe 30 to 40 seconds. So, you know, 15, 20 seconds at kind of cruise pace, uh, and everything else just a short ramp up, 
cruise, short ramp down, back to easy pace. And then, you know, it's unlike a, a more traditional or typical repeat session where you might do that for, you know, a minute for that window and then a minute recovery and do it again, you're going to give yourself ample time to recover. You know, you don't do strides rapid fire. You strides are, are kind of mixed in throughout the course of an easy run. I kind of, my loose rule of thumb, if I have a rule of thumb on this topic, which maybe I don't, uh, but my root, loose rule of thumb would be one set of strides, which just that one ramp up would be one set per mile. Uh, about now it doesn't need to be, you know, you don't need to do one during your, your warm up. but say you've got a four or five mile run. You want to throw a few strides. I wouldn't throw any more than four or five strides in there. Um, you know, and include your, your warm up time, your cool down time. So you got, you know, th- four, four to five stride sets during a three to three and a half mile, uh, section of an easy run. So that's, I mean, honestly, that's, that's really all they are. It's, it's, it, again, it, we can, we have a tendency to overcomplicate things sometimes, but it's really pretty simple. Pick up the pace, cruise for a short time period, 20 to 30 seconds, ramp it back down to easy jog pace or easy run pace, and then just continue on cruising along for your easy run until you decide to ramp them up again. Why do we do them? Why, why are they, uh, why, why do some people swear by them? Why should I probably be more, uh, focused on including them in my workouts and in the workouts of the the folks that I'm working with, especially those that are really locked in on easy, easy running, whether it's heart rate training or just kind of, uh, you know, building the base easy and, and increase in pace, uh, by building endurance and, and, uh, efficiency and things of that nature. Well, because the, the strides, uh, have some benefits of the speed workout because you're, you're picking up your pace. You're running harder for that, that short period of time, which helps improve your form, helps improve your foot turnover, uh, helps to, to kind of, uh, create the, the neurological pathways or the neuromuscular pathways from your brain to your muscles that we want firing. And we want those to be, you know, no, 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 uh, uh, static between our brain and our, and our legs, right? When, when it comes to, to firing the muscles to make us run. So mixing in some of those, you know, and those are all benefits of speed work. Those are all benefits of doing hard training. But if you've, if you've gathered anything from me over the last year or two, you know that, that I'm not keen on doing too much speed work. I think the less is, less is typically more, um, because you know, you overdo it and it can cause more problems than it, than it helps to, uh, to solve. So you can mix these speed workouts or these stride workouts in, if you even want to call them a workout, you can mix these in once a week, a couple times a week even, um, and, and get some of those benefits with very little accumulated fatigue. You know, if we're talking, you're doing three or four or maybe even five stride segments during the course of a run and you're only doing, you know, in, in that five stride segments, you're only running hard for at most less than two minutes. Uh, there's not going to be a lot of wear and tear. There's not, you, your heart rate's really never going to spike. I mean, when I do, when I do strides, um, as long as my, my heart rate going into the stride, isn't right up there near my, my math limit, I can hammer out a 20 second stride. My heart rate starts to, to peak up. It gets up close to the number. By the time it starts to get up to that point to where my watch is going to buzz and tell me to slow down, I'm already slowing down. And then my heart rate, I bring it back down nice and nice and low, hit it hard again, you know, a mile later or five minutes later or whatever the case might be. Um, so it can fit into uh, heart rate training or zone training without really screwing up your your zones, and, and you still get that little taste of speed work. Obviously, you're still getting some of the benefits, um, many of the benefits of speed work without the wear and tear, less risk of injury, things of that nature. Um, should you do it every run? I don't know that I would say that much. I, I don't know that I would go quite that far. Some people do. Some people swear by it. Um, again, there's there's not exactly one set definition here. But, you know, I think that maybe once a week, especially if you're not doing speed work super, super regularly, once a week, maybe, maybe you know, four or five times a month, something like that is probably a good, a good 
number and something that I should I should do better at probably for myself. Uh, I, I'm probably more on the like once a quarter I do some strides. I probably should mix in those a little bit more often. Uh, and and for those that I work with, my you know you know this, I don't put them on the schedule very often for very many people. So maybe I should do that a bit more as well because there are some benefits to it. Um, and the risks, the drawbacks are pretty minimal really are pretty minimal. So, uh, it's a, it's a good little way to, to get a little bit of turnover, a little bit of form work, uh, without having too much stress pounding wear and tear, uh, outside of just the normal demands of an easy run anyway. So hopefully that makes sense. Maya, it's something that I probably should talk about more. Maybe I will talk about more in 2020. Uh, certainly like I should, like I said, I should be playing with it more, more myself. Uh, so I can you know talk about it more from firsthand experience as opposed to this is what it is all about, but I don't really know. Um, so thanks for calling me out on the first question of this Q and a, but really a great question and something that, uh, we'll be revisiting often, uh, in the upcoming year. So, uh, thank you for that question. Maya next question comes from Michaela. I'm in a weird place. It's been about two weeks for my marathon. And as you know, I have a 50 K in February. I don't want to run. I feel fine, but I have no gusto to get out the door. How do I get from post marathon slump to 50 K training help? So, Michaela, you know, it's it's one of those things, and we've talked a little bit more since you've posted this question. We jumped on the phone and and did a little consult action that way, which was, which I hopefully was really helpful for you so that uh, you didn't ask this question a while ago and and have been sitting on it uh, since then. But this type of situation, I don't know that it's super common, but it's certainly not uncommon. Where, where you train up for a race and maybe you're using that race as kind of the, the next stepping stone to the next race and you get out of that first race and it's like kind of kind of a little bit deflating, maybe a little bit burnt out. Like you said, you just don't want to go run. You feel fine. You just don't want to get out the door. So how do you how do you navigate through that time period knowing that you've got another race coming? How do you how do you get through whether it's a week, two weeks, ten day, you know, ten days, three weeks, four weeks, whatever it is, to kind of get some of that that fire back, that passion back without losing all the fitness gains that you've made because you've got another race coming and you need that fitness to get through that next race. I think one of the best things you can do is take give yourself, you know, r- respect that you're not feeling excited to go run, that you don't really want to do it. And don't force the issue. Give yourself ten days, give yourself two weeks. Uh, give yourself as much time as you need to not run or to not force the issue to kind of let some of that mental fatigue is probably what you're experiencing, to be quite honest, of training up for the marathon. Let some of that mental fatigue just kind of dissipate. And then it typically doesn't take long. Although if, if you've been pushing too too long through some of this, you know, trying to force the issue, it might take it might take a little bit longer. But for me, when I start to get to that feeling of like, gosh, I, I don't really want to go run today. I mean, it's usually like take two or three days off and and all of a sudden I'm like, gosh, I want to go run. You know, that's it, all it takes. You start, you know, you, you attack the symptom early before it really takes root and it can be pretty quick to turn it around. So I feel like that's at least from your question and from the conversation we've had, I feel like that's kind of where, where you stand, where you just need to give yourself a little bit of break, give yourself permission to not run for a couple days, a couple of weeks, and then get, and then at that point, hopefully you'll start to be excited. You'll, you'll be itching like, gosh, I kind of want to get out there. I know I got this race coming up. I'm excited. I want to go run again and, and make sure my training is right where it needs to be for this 50 K. And then you'll, you know, then it'll be easy to get out the door because once you get out the door, typically, especially if you're excited to get out the door, then, then the run takes care of itself. So, you know, it's, it's, it's easy to think that you're going to lose all your fitness and I got to just, just have to force through or force myself to keep going. Um, but you really won't. 
you really won't. And if you can be active doing other things, you know, whether it's, it's walking, whether it's, it's, you know, going to the gym and doing some cross training things. I don't, I don't know everybody's situation, obviously, but just, just doing something else that keeps you active, keeps you moving a little bit. You're not going to lose much fitness. You might lose a fraction of percentage, whatever. You'll make that back uh, in no time. Once you get back into to running, especially once you're enjoying running again. So give yourself that time to breathe. Give yourself that time to recover mentally and physically after the first race. And once you're ready to go, then get back out there and get back after it. Keep building towards that next race, however near or far it may be. So hopefully that, that kind of helps you, Michaela. And hopefully you're, you're already back on track, uh, after our, our chat, uh, last week or so, um, and, and able to, to kind of be in the right space mentally and physically to keep going. Uh, and I can't wait to hear how the 50 K ends up going for you. I'm, I'm, sh- I'm confident you're going to be very successful. Next question comes from Hildy says, uh, I'm dealing with a loss of running mojo. So very much related to Michaela's question. So this might be a short answer because I might've already just answered it. Uh, she says, I get bored after doing three miles and I'm not doing the speed and distance that I used to do without much effort. I've done half marathons and 10 Ks and I know I can go beyond that, but something is holding me back. I want 20 to 20. I want 2020 to be a better year for me. Any advice on how to get myself more vote, more motivated and push farther. So Hildy, I mean, again, it sounds from this question and maybe I'm reading into it. I, I don't know if, if there's more to this, certainly let me know. We can, we can try to help give you some other suggestions, but it kind of sounds like there's just a little bit of burned out, you know, like you get out there, you get your, your few miles in, and you're just like, gosh, this kind of sucks. Like, I don't really want to do this anymore. Um, and, and you know, you're not, because you're not excited, then you're not pushing the pace. You're not pushing the distance, things like that. Um, and so if you want 2020 to be a, a better year, uh, hopefully more a year that, and, and again, better can be one of those words that you define it, how you need to define it. But for me, you know, better means that you're enjoying your running, you're having fun. And then that, then whatever goals you set, whether it's distance goals, speed goals, a little bit of both, whatever, those will take care of themselves. But in order to get to that point, it kind of sounds like you might need a little bit of a break. You might, you might, you know, just absence makes the heart grow fonder sometimes, especially when you're, when, when it's, there's nothing physically wrong. There's nothing, you know, there's no injuries that you're working through. Give yourself a little bit of a break. And just like I said with Michaela, if you can, if you can mix in some cross training, some type of other activity, just walking, hiking, um, whatever, you won't lose much fitness. And then when it's time to get going, uh, when you're, when you're excited to get going again, when you're, when you're ready, when you, when you kind of feel that mojo coming back, then you can get out and, and get back to work, get back to training and kind of set what goals you want to have for the new year and push to make them happen. And, and one thing that I do want to stress with, with your particular go, goal there, or at least your particular question, Hildy, and with the timing of this episode. So this episode's coming out, you know, four days before 2020. It comes out on the 27th of December. We've got a few more days left. You might be listening to this before 2020 hits. This might be in the first week of the new year, second week of the new year, whatever. But the, the point I want to make is that, you know, you say you want 2020 to be a better year for me. And I think we all do. We all, we, I mean, you know, I don't think anybody in any area of our lives are like, you know what? I freaking killed it in, uh, in my running life, my marriage, my professional life, whatever. I, I had such a great year in 2019 that I don't give two shits about 2020. Like, yeah, I just, I'm just gonna let myself go into Like nobody says that, right? We all want to be better. We all want to, we, we, we all want to move forward into, in the new year. And, and as such, a lot of us for good reason, want to get off to a good start. We want to hit the ground running on the first of the first of the year, new year's day, and really get after it. But in, in your situation, Hildy, at least for judging from your question, I kind of am, am thinking that you might want to take a couple of weeks, maybe even most of January to just kind of unplug from running, 
again, stay active, find ways to, to maintain some of your fitness, maybe do some strength training work, whatever the case might be. But don't feel like you have to force the issue on January 1 if you're not quite ready yet. Because I'm here to tell you, you can still have one hell of a year if you don't really get after it starting until the 1st of February or the 15th of January or the 12th of February, whatever. You know, it, I would I would feel like, I guess what I'm trying to say, what my advice is trying to be here is that get your mojo back first and then get on to attack in 2020 and don't let the start of the new year feel like you have to force the issue right now, okay? Because if you're not fully, you know, having your mojo back fully dealt with the burnout that it sounds like you're, you're experiencing about running, then it's just going to be a chore. It's just going to drag. And you might, you might really find yourself piddling off in the summer, fall into the winter of 2020, which means that you might be more likely to end the year on a sour note end the year on kind of like, ugh, this year kind of like, ugh, I didn't have as good of a year this year versus if you take the time now to really address the burnout, address the mojo issue, take some time off from running, get excited about the sport again, to get excited about getting out there and getting your miles in and setting your goals and working toward them, then you'll be much more likely to finish the year on a high and go, damn, I killed it this year. I had a great year. And now I can't wait for 2021 and take it even farther. Take it even, you know, be even, even better. Again, whatever better meet might mean for you in, into 2021. So I hope all that makes sense, but just, I, you know, my, my best advice, it always works well for me. Uh, and it seems to always work well for those that I give this to is if you're feeling kind of like you don't have that mojo, like you're just kind of burnt out, give yourself a little bit, bit of a break, set, set a, set a, you know, no running until the 15th of January and then reassess on the 15th. Are you excited to get back out there? Then get back out there. If you're not excited yet, then say, all right, well, screw it. No running until the 1st of February. Give yourself two more weeks and it won't, you know, eventually it kind of is one of those things where once you get to that point, like in the dam bursts and it's just like, all right, now I'm, uh, now I'm chomping at the bit. I'm ready to go at that point. You're ready to go. You're ready to go. So hope that helps. And, uh, Hildy certainly wish you nothing but the best in 2020. Hope you have a great year. Uh, Maya chiming in with another question. This is a layup. Which version of Santa baby is best? I just, come on. Slam dunk Eartha kit uh, the original, you know, sometimes, sometimes not going to lie. Sometimes things dramatically improve on the original versions, whether it's music, whether it's recipes, whether it's whatever, lots of things, you know, updates and covers and remakes and, uh, just improvement over time. Santa baby is one of those that the, the, we got it right. The first time everybody else needs to just stop needs to just stop Eartha kit for the win. Mr. Lesterberg from, uh, from, from Fargo, I think he's still in Fargo, but John asks, uh, what are some things I can do to get back to zero drop? I sprained my ankle badly a few years ago and have had issues trying to wear ultras. I wear anything from zero to six millimeter drop, but I miss ultra shoes. So, you know, when it, when it comes to a sprained ankle, that's one of those things that can take, especially if you don't do, um, the best job of rehab right off the bat. And, and, you know, and I'm certainly not targeting you, John, or, or saying anything bad about what you did post uh, injury a couple of years ago. But it's one of those things that if you don't kind of, until you get it solved, it kind of can still kind of linger and cause you problems. And that kind of sounds like what the case might be. And, you know, depending on the severity of the sprain and what your situation is, like you may not have gone to like weeks of PT for a sprained ankle. You might've just been like, all right, hell, like I'll, I'll rice, you know, rest it, ice compression, elevation. And, uh, you know, kind of once it, once the pain starts to subside, I'll start running again and, and go from there, which is fine, which is, which is fine and dandy. 
but obviously that doesn't help to alleviate maybe the issues that maybe you're still experiencing two years from now, John. So there, there is a post, and I, I linked to it in the show notes today, disruns.com slash 799, that I did a while ago that uh, I think it's a video post, but memory may be a little bit fuzzy here, um, but showing some some rehab exercises, some things you can do post ankle sprain to help get you know things back. And I, I'm, I'm suggesting maybe, John, that you might check that out, uh, that post out, and, and incorporate some of those, those rehab-type exercises, even though it's been a couple of years, because there's probably still some range of motion issues um, that maybe you haven't gotten back yet. There's, there's potentially still some stability issues because when you, when you sprain your ankle, um, it, it's technically, if, if we're, if we're speaking in, in, uh, kind of medical terms here, a sprain is a, as a injury to the ligament. So you either stretch the ligaments of your ankle out, potentially partially tear them, potentially if it's bad enough, completely tear the, the, uh, ligaments, and those ligaments will never heal. They'll never tighten back up. Uh, they'll never repair themselves if they're partially or completely torn. And so if you're not doing something to, to strengthen some of the little muscles that are around your ankle, the supportive muscles in, in and around your, your calf and your feet, um, there will always be a level of instability there. And I'm, and I'm wondering if some combination of maybe a tight Achilles, tight calf, which, I mean, let's not kid ourselves. Most runners have tight calves and tight Achilles anyway. Um, but if there's a, if there's a little bit of excess buildup of tightness there from not doing rehab, coming back from your sprained ankle, um, is it, between that and a, a, maybe some, uh, instability that's going on because of the sprained ankle as well. If those aren't combining to cause you problems when you get into the ultras. Um, the one, the one hesitation I have though, is that if you, if you do wear anything from zero drop to six millimeter drops, you're basically, you know, even at the six millimeter level, you, I mean, that's, that's a pretty low heel to toe ratio in terms of running shoes. Uh, but if you, if you run in some zeros and have no issues, but wearing the ultras are causing you problems, I'm a little bit of a head scratch as far as if there's a, a correlation between the two, um, between the sprained ankle and the ultras or not. So in any event though, whatever, whichever, whichever the, the you know, whichever is the, uh, the chicken versus the eggs in this scenario, doing some of those, uh, rehab exercises, which are basically like balancing, stretching ankle, uh, range of motion type of stuff where you're pointing your toes, flexing your feet, uh, moving left and right or in and out, however you want to describe it. Um, you know, balancing on one foot, walking on your heels, walking on your toes. I mean, it's, it's pretty simple stuff that you can mix in, in your daily life around your house. Um, those types of things can be very beneficial, uh, even to continue doing once your feet are feeling good. And hopefully once you're able to be able to wear the ultras again, um, doing, doing those types of little, uh, strengthening mobility type of, of exercises can go a long way towards either a preventing another sprained ankle or preventing it from being as bad in the future. And, and, and if you're a trail runner, you know, it's, it's almost like a matter of, of when, instead of if, uh, the next ankle sprain or ankle roll is going to be, but if you're, if you're getting, you know, just like anything prevention, better than cure, right? So get out in front of it, do some of these balancing exercises, balance on one foot when you're, uh, brushing your teeth. I'm literally standing on one foot right now while I'm recording this, this episode, you know, uh, which really, I just came to as, as I was thinking about this, but it's like, I mean, you can just mix in this, this single leg balance stuff for, you know, holding for 30 seconds, holding for 40 seconds, holding for a minute. Um, but continue to add that into different parts of your life and you know, it, it will make an improvement and it's not going to cost you an extra 30 minutes a day, 40 minutes a day. Cause it's stuff you're already doing. You're already brushing your teeth. I'm already recording interviews. I'm already recording these episodes. I'm already, you know, doing it. I'm at the stove, stirring the pot. I'm at the, I'm at the sink, washing the dishes. Like I can stand on one foot during some of those times, right? Um, or I can stand barefoot so that my feet have to, to work as opposed to being in shoes, things like that. So doing those simple things. And like I said, there's, there's a, a post, uh, linked in the show notes today, disruns.com slash seven, nine, nine. That'll take you back to that. Uh, that I think it's a video post, um, with video demos and, and 
kind of explanations of some of the exercises, John, and hopefully those things will help you and anybody else. If you ever deal with with an ankle sprain, um, check out that post and hopefully it will serve you well. Um, but thank you for the question, sir. And happy new year to you. Next question coming from Georgia. Uh, Chris asks, I don't have, or I guess he says before, before we get to the ask, uh, I don't have any big races planned after my January marathon until the Savannah rock and roll marathon in November. What is the best way to fill the gap in order to keep building my fitness? Should I look for a spring, uh, a late spring, early fall half or full, uh, January will be my first full marathon. What kind of recovery time would I, would be good in planning out the date for the next big race? So, uh, Chris, you know, this is, this is a great question. And, and maybe, uh, the first couple questions, or at least a couple of the first questions here, um, between Michaela and Hildy kind of maybe foreshadow, or maybe at least color my, my response here a little bit. But I think that after your first marathon and after building up to running that first 26.2, it would be good for you to not have anything big on the schedule, um, you know, rolling right out of this first marathon into a training cycle for another marathon. Uh, because you know, there, there is always that chance that after that first marathon, you kind of do need a little bit of a break. Uh, certainly we want to make sure you have plenty of time off after the first marathon, uh, just to recover physically, because again, it's the first time doing 26.2 miles. Um, you know, there's, there's, there's a recovery process to that. And I, I do believe personally that the recovery process gets easier. The more times that you run, said distances. So, you know, the second marathon, your recovery will probably be a little bit quicker than the first, but I would, I would hesitate to encourage you to sign up for another full marathon in the spring, um, to where we basically have to roll out of the first marathon and keep training for the second one. I think having a nice little break, uh, with no big races on the calendar to just kind of back off, give yourself a mental break as well as a physical break. Um, I think that would be a good, a good safe bet. Could you do a, a, a later spring race without any issues? Sure. You, you sure could. You absolutely could. But if we're starting to deal with any type of burnout, mental fatigue, man, I, I, I would, I would much rather say, Hey, there's no races on the calendar. Let's just take a month and, or three weeks or whatever. And, you know, run a little bit when you want to maybe run once a week to keep a little bit of a base, but then do some swimming or some biking or whatever, do something else to just kind of give your mind and body a little bit of a break and we'll recircle the wagons in three weeks, four weeks and get back to, to running again because we don't have to worry about having you ready for another race in three, in three months, something like that. So I think giving yourself a nice break would be, would be smart. Um, and then when it comes to filling the gap, I mean, you know, as I've said before, as I'll say again, you're not going to lose much, if any fitness in three weeks, four weeks off from running. Um, as long as you're still being active in other ways. So, you know, find, find other things to do, hit the strength training a little bit more, hit the bike, hit the pool, um, whatever, you know, just, just maintain some, some level of, of activity and your fitness. You might drop a little bit, but without having a big race coming right down the pipe, as soon as you start running again, you have plenty of time to build it back and, and then to take it even farther, take it even farther. Um, you know, maybe some, maybe look for some, some faster stuff or some fun stuff. You know, if you wanted to do a spring half, that would be fine. That would be fine because, you know, uh, especially if we're not really focused on super racing it, although the racing, it could be a possibility, but maybe not the a goal when you first sign up for it, but having something out there for the spring, uh, that, that, you know, isn't going to take four months of training and, and we can, we can get away with having a nice little break after the first marathon and then getting ready for the, the half, um, you know, a couple months later, that would be probably a good time frame. So something, you know, uh, April, early May, a half marathon. If you really want to have another race, that would be great. If you want to do focus on some shorter stuff, some five K's, some 10 K's running a little bit faster, 
um, using that this awesome base of fitness that you're building right now to go hard. I think that would be a great option as well. Um, so I guess maybe the moral of the story here, the, the short answer, the, the answer that I should have gone with four minutes ago, and I wouldn't have had to have been talking for the last four minutes on this one, um, is that you've got options. You've got options. I would, I would hesitate to, to race into or rush into uh, the next full marathon after the first one. But outside of that, I, and I would, I would say maybe don't even rush into anything for the, at least the first couple of months after the first marathon. Uh, give yourself at least a couple months to breathe. Um, not that you're not going to run in those two months, but at least a couple months to just not have any big races, maybe, you know, local 5k, local 10k, whatever. Those are fine, but no big races, but then, you know, late spring, you want to jump in a half. Great. You already got your next, your next marathon scheduled for, for Savannah in the fall. I would say, make that your second marathon, make that your second marathon. Um, and, and if you want to mix a couple of halves in before then, we got options. We got options. So, um, how's that for an answer that doesn't really answer the question, right? Um, but, but you know, you've, you've got lots of time to recover after the full marathon or t- we've got lots of time, lots of options after the first marathon, but I think we need to make recovery the first priority, mental and physical refresh both so that you don't get into a burnout situation. Like some of the ladies earlier have, have done after a big race or after a big year. Um, we really want to try to avoid that if at all possible. Um, and I'd rather nip that in the bud by taking a little bit of time after the first marathon, then to just try to keep powering through and then be like, Oh man, this I, I'm, I don't enjoy running right now. And Oh, but you got to race in four weeks. So like trying to balance that out is not the ideal situation. So hope that all makes sense, Chris. Obviously we can talk more as needed to get that squared away, but a uh, great question and uh, congratulations on the first marathon. Well, I mean, I guess you haven't done it yet, but I know things are going well and I certainly uh, am am excited for you for that first 26.2 coming up very, very soon. Can't wait to hear how that goes. Next question from Tammy. Uh, If I have only 15 minutes to do strength training and all the equipment I own is a 15 15 pound kettlebell, 10 pound dumbbells and some resistance bands, what key moves can I do to support my running? Uh, The beauty, Tammy, of, of this question is that one of the biggest pushbacks that people give, one of the biggest... I'll say it. I'll say it. Excuses, and I'm guilty of this excuse as well. So don't. I'm not. I'm not uh, casting shade on anybody but myself and and all the rest of us that have said this. Is that oh, I don't have time for strength training. If you have 15 minutes, you have enough time. Period. And better yet, if you have a kettlebell, a couple of dumbbells, and some bands, you've got all the equipment you need. Now, I will say this: accumulating more pieces of equipment is not a bad thing, because more more pieces of equipment give you more options right? So maybe at some point you, you try to, you know, get yourself a, a, an exercise ball, something you can do some crunches, some ab work, some, some stability work on, you know, that's one of those things that costs 20 bucks and it'll last you for the rest of your life. So you pick one of those up at some point, maybe you get a pull-up bar at some point that kind of loops over the door frame. I got one of those. Love it. Uh, again, I mean, that was, I think mine, I got a decent one. I think it was like 40 or 50 bucks. It's going to last me forever. You know, it'll move with me from one house to the next. If we ever move, I'll take it with me. You know, so it's a one, another one-time expense. Maybe you get another heavier weight here and there. Some other, some other moral of the story, you know, the equipment you have right now is great. Don't be afraid to add to it as you go, but mix in 15 minutes a couple of times a week. You're good to go. So now your specific question, what are some things that you can do or some, some moves, key moves to support your running? The biggest thing for all of us this really extends beyond just runners um, to pretty much anybody that's, that's lifting for strength benefits that beyond like bodybuilding type of stuff. So any of us that are quote unquote, not bodybuilders, um, which is probably most of us, certainly most of us that are listening, I would imagine um, you want to focus on multi-joint multi-muscle movements. So what, what does that mean in, in layman's terms? It means things like pushing, pushing, exercising, pulling ex- exercises. So push-ups, pull-ups, rows, uh, squats, 
lunges, deadlifts, things where you're moving, where you're working multiple muscles, typically multiple, multiple joints, uh, big ranges of motion. You do, you want to avoid the, the, you know, like straight bicep curls or leg extensions on the leg. If you're doing leg extensions on the leg, extensions, just side note here. And, and Tammy, I this doesn't seem like it would relate to you, but those, you, you sit on the, the machine where you strap your, your ankles to the machine, uh, and you just extend your legs out. That is arguably the worst strength training exercise you can do. For, for a whole host of reasons, we can talk about that another day. Uh, but if you, if you regularly, if that's regular part of your routine, you go to the gym, you do, you hit on the leg extension machine. Stop, just stop. Don't do that exercise. It's terrible for you. Um, focus on lunges, single leg. Uh, you know, that's a single leg exercise. Focus on squats, single leg squats. Eventually, even if you have to use something, you know, use use the wall to support you. Hold on to to something to hold on to a chair to, to take some weight off you, but you can do a single leg squat. Work on those types of things. So those types of things are great with the kettlebell. You can do uh, kettlebell swings. Uh, you can do all kinds of like Turkish get up moves. If you just search, uh, you know, kind of uh, do it like a Google search of great kettlebell exercises. There's dozens of them that come up. Uh, you can do the same thing with the, the dumbbells. I mean, you, you know, they're a little obviously they're different shape than the kettlebell, but a lot of times a lot of work, a lot of uh, moves, exercises are pretty much interchangeable. There's some that are a little bit better for the kettlebell, some a little bit better for dumbbells, but you can kind of work them crossways. Um, resistance bands, you can do a whole host of things there and don't overlook body weight stuff, body weight, squats, planks, crunches, um, you know, deadlifts, things like that. There's so many things you can do that. I mean, I, I could give you a 15 minute answer and still only scratch the surface. Um, but, but there are so many things, Tammy. So in 15 minutes, if you can do that twice a week, three times a week, you're golden. You're golden. You can you can even look for different different things on like YouTube, uh, and you just find routines there that are ten minutes whole body strength routine for runners. You'll have more than more than enough right there, and you can always mix in. You know, if they're doing squats, you can you can add in the kettlebell to add a little bit more resistance to make it. Uh, you know. Get, get a little bit more strength work in while you're doing the, the body weight exercises. But you know, yeah, I mean, if it, focus on the, the big things, don't focus on the specific, you know, one, one plane of motion, anything that that's moving you multiple, multiple joints, working multiple muscles. Those are what we get the biggest bang for your buck. And if you only quote only have 15 minutes, which is more than enough time, you do still want to focus on the biggest bang for your buck. So get those multi-joint exercises and you will be good. And thank you, ma'am, for the question. Next two coming from Karen. First one, uh, after completing my last marathon, I've had a few people tell, uh, tell me they would love to start running. What is the best way for someone that has never run to start? Uh, my advice has been to run for a few minutes and walk for a few minutes and over time, make the walk break shorter. Do you have a better idea? Not really. Not really. I think that's a great option. I think that's a great idea. Um, and, and one thing I would, I would maybe encourage or, or, you know, mentioned, uh, and probably a few people are, are waiting for me to say this because it's, it, it really is a great option for the really, truly beginners. The, the really, truly ones that have no idea what to do and don't have much fitness, you know, where even running for a few minutes might be too much is, is point them to like the couch to 5k app, point them to, uh, some, some Jeff Galloway type of thing, some run walk type of thing. Um, and, and really stress that there's no, no, duration that's too short. So I, I, I've never done couch to 5k myself, but I feel like I've heard enough people talk about it that I feel like I can comfortably say that it, you know, typically starts at like 30 seconds for, for a walk. And then, you know, three minutes for, or I'm sorry, 30 seconds for a run, then like three minutes for a walk. And you're doing that, you know, for, for 20 minutes, uh, a couple times a week. And it just kind of builds from there. But those types of, of programs are very much beginner friendly. Um, and, and the type of thing that, that maybe they can even recruit a friend or two, or at least get some online support as well. So they don't feel like they're doing this alone. They don't feel like they're the, the slowest person ever. They're never going to be able to walk because I guarantee there's a lot of folks listening to this right now that started out that way. Um, that started out with a, with a very, uh, 
dedicated, you know, whether it comes to 5K, Galloway, run, walk, that have gotten to the point where they're running straight through for half marathons, marathons, whatever, or they're still incorporating some type of run, walk, and that's okay too. That's okay too. So point those resources to them. Obviously, you know, point yourself as, as I'm willing to answer some questions and help you out and be their cheerleader. Uh, you can send them this way uh, to, to get some advice from, from myself or better yet from the collective minds of the group. Um, but just, I, you know, I would, I would really say that couch to 5k and, or uh, the Galloway program are probably the best places to start. And then we can build, you know, they can build from there uh, depending on how, you know, how long it takes them to get hooked on the sport. Cause we all know they're going to get hooked eventually. Right. Uh, but, but start them there uh, building that foundation and, and that, you know, you, you start telling somebody, you'll just run for a couple minutes, then walk for a couple minutes. Um, if they can't run for a couple minutes, that might be demoralized enough that they just say, yeah, I guess this isn't for me. And of course, you know, we don't want anybody to say that. So start them with, with the most basic, uh, basic thing ever, um, which is just running, 20 seconds, 30 seconds. And again, couch to 5k is a great place to start. So thank you for that question, that question, Karen. And, and also don't want to gloss over this fact. Congratulations to you for inspiring those around you to say, Hey, you know, I see what you're doing and this is awesome. And I want to, I want to give it a shot, which is, which is awesome that you're being such a, uh, uh, ambassador for this, just the sport of running in general. So Karen, that is for you. Very, very well done. Awesome. Awesome work there, lady. Uh, and congratulations on a, if memory serves a really good a marathon at, at, in Kiwa Island as well. Uh, next question, also from Karen. At a water stop, do you grab your cup and keep going or do you stop and walk while you drink? I found it's definitely easier to walk the water stops rather than have water dripping down my shirt. Amen, sister. Preach on, preach on. I do not understand the whole, I'm going to grab a cup of water while I'm running, splash half of it over myself and over the person that's handing me the cup while I'm running, then try to pinch the cup, choke down a couple of, of sips uh, while also getting it all over my face, especially if it's a sports drink, a Gatorade, Powerade, whatever. Now you got all this sticky mess all over your face, all over your arm, your hand, down your shirt. Um, you're probably choking at some point. I don't know how many times I've I've gone through a water stop and you get people that are running and all of a sudden they're choking and bent over and trying to, to get, you know, got some fluid down the wrong pipe. When, if you just stop for three seconds, take the water cup, take a couple of sips, make it in the trash can instead of just throwing it wherever, because yes, the people are there to help and to clean up after us, but we don't need to be animals about it. Like they have a trash can there for a reason. Try to hit the, the bloody trash can. That's a huge pet peeve of mine. Uh, another topic for another day, but you know, take, it costs you three seconds, four seconds, but you're not, you're not choking. You don't have Gatorade stuck all over your face and you're now you're back at it again. And at the, at the end of the day, at the end of the race, you're going to make up those three or four seconds, I think, more often than not, um, especially because all it takes is one time of, of coughing and choking, and now you're down you know, 30 or 40 seconds, but there you go. There you go. So I am a huge proponent of stopping for a water break, and not for nothing, but you stop at the water stop to, to get the water, the, the quote unquote, the right way, what I would consider the right way. You're giving yourself just a nice little break. You know, you're still walking. You're still moving. It's only, I mean, literally three, four, five seconds, and then you're running again. That nice, that those little five seconds can be just a nice little, whew, all right, refreshed, ready to go. Um, so even if you're not a, a quote unquote militant run walker, you walk the water stops, not a bad strategy. I will, I will throw that out there. Uh, something that I've used to great success. And I know a few other folks that have used it to success as well, but, uh, that is my take. If you want to just grab your cup and go great, that's fine. Now that I mostly, most races carry water with me, you know, in my, in my pack, which is a bottle, um, I am totally fine with running with a bottle and drinking out of that because I can just, you know, squeeze it into my mouth and don't have to worry about spilling all over the place and, and I'm good to go. So that's kind of what I do most of the time now. Um, but if slash when I'm running and I don't have my bottles with me or I need to just get a cup here and there, I'm going to walk and take the water or the fluids that way 
every single time. Next question from Debbie. How much quote unquote fitness will I lose by not running in December? My body feels exhausted. Girlfriend, if your body is feeling exhausted, listen to your body. How, how many times over the course of ever (laughs) over the course of the last five and a half years that we've been doing this, this bloody show, how many times have I said, listen to your body? If your body's feeling exhausted, it's trying to tell you that it's exhausted and you need a break. And, and as I've said earlier with a couple of other, other, other questions along similar topics, it might be your mind that needs the break as much as your body needs the break. So all in all, take the break. Now, how much fitness will you lose? Not much, not much. You know, it's, it's one of those, it, like, it's impossible to say you're going to lose 6.7%. Like who, I don't know. I don't know. It, it, a lot of it depends on how active you still are in the month that you take off while you're l- allowing your body to recover. Um, you know, just in your daily life, are you, are you still walking as much as you can? Are you, you know, when you go to the, the grocery store, do you take the, take the, the long view of like, Hey, if I park out towards the outside of the parking lot, I'm going to get an extra hundred steps as I walk in versus if I circle the parking lot for five minutes to try to find that up close spot. So you park a little bit farther out, you get a few more steps that way, which, which doesn't seem like much because in and of itself it's not. But if you're, if you're doing those types of little things on a daily basis, it'll make even less of a dent in your fitness when you come back to running in January or February, whenever your body and your mind are telling you that you're ready to go. So, you know, don't worry about how much fitness you're gonna lose. Will you lose some? Yeah. Yeah, you are. I mean, yes, I I would be, I would be just a fool to try to insinuate otherwise, if you're going to take a full month off from running, but if you can mix in a, a, a ride once in a while, a ride on the bike, spin bike, real bike, whatever the case, um, shoveling snow, going for a hike, whatever, doing something active a few times per week, eh, you'll mitigate most of the loss. And when your body and your mind are, are refreshed and you get back to running, you'll make up that slight deficit that you, uh, that you cause by taking a break, you'll get it back. And then some so quickly because your body and mind will be excited again. They'll be, they'll be fresh. They'll be ready to go as opposed to just continuing to beat it down. So, uh, Debbie, if you're feeling exhausted, I know this is coming out at the end of December, but I hope you took the whole month of December off. Uh, if not, don't be afraid to take the whole month of January off. Like I said earlier, better to take the, the first month of the year off and hit and have a great last 11 months than to try to force through and just be so burned out by June that you're just like, screw it. I'm done with running forever. We don't want that. So, uh, if your body feels exhausted, listen to your body, take the break and don't worry about how much fitness you're going to lose because it'll come back. It'll come back quickly. I promise. Uh, next uh, trifecta of questions coming from Lindsay, actually three of the next four, Whew, Lindsay's got some questions this month, which is, which is awesome. Happy to answer them, Lindsay. Keep them coming. Uh, first one, I'm interested in a 50K that has quite a bit of sand in it. Is there a way to train for this ahead of time? I don't live anywhere near sand. So uh, no, I mean, there's there's not really a, a great way to trade for sand if you can't like run on the beach. And even then, I mean, running in the sand is hard. Even if you train in it, it's hard. Like, especially if it's soft sand, loose sand, you know, if it's, if it's a little bit more packed down, if it's like a two track type of thing, um, you know, then it's not, not quite as bad, still harder than running on the roads. But you know, as far as it's softer than running on the roads, I guess, but more difficult than running on the roads, what I'm trying to say. Um, but you know, like even if you train on sand all the time, it's still going to be hard on the race. So that said, there's not a whole lot you can do. Um, obviously just train, be, be well prepared for the race. The one thing that I would suggest, however, is if you have trails nearby you, um, even if they're not quote unquote sandy, you might be surprised that you can find some, some stretches of the sa- of the trail that are a little bit softer than others. And so you can train there, you know, get a little extra time on the trails, uh, 
and, and that's going to hopefully help you be kind of prepared for the extra demands of, of trail running. If you're not already a regular trail runner as it is. Um, the other thing that I would suggest, you know, sand, it's obviously pretty soft or can be pretty soft, can be unstable, work your balance. So work single leg balance stuff, work single leg strength training exercises so that your balance is good. Um, so that your, your ankles and knees and hips feel stable, because that's one thing that could cause people problems. They get on that sand and everything's just kind of shifting and shaking back and forth. Uh, so maybe spend a little bit of extra time outside of your running training, doing some balance and stability work. And that might serve you well, uh, when you get onto the Sandy course as well, but, um, 50 K's are great. And, and the other thing, you know, 50 K's, I've said this before, I'll say it again. It's so different than a quote unquote regular race, a regular marathon, or certainly anything road, road type of distances where, you know, if you just need to walk through the sand and walk through the sand, ain't no thing. There's gonna be other people doing it as well. So, you know, you kind of have a little different perspective sometimes when it comes to the ultra distance races. And it's just like, Hey, this sand is really hard to run in. Well, screw it. I'm just going to walk conserve a little bit of energy. Yeah. It's going to cost my pace a little bit. Obviously the whole race is saying that may not be the optimal thing, but you know, if there's some, some spots where it's really bad, just, just walk, just walk it, save some of that energy for when you get back to some more runnable sections, and then go. Um, but, uh, hope that the, uh, 50 K goes well. Certainly looking forward to hearing how it goes. Lindsay, uh, next one also from Lindsay does a training plan for a 50 K need to be longer and, or have more long runs than a marathon plan. It's only a few more miles, right? I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. So, um, in general, no, um, in practice, I, I think it can be beneficial. So does a 50 K training plan need to be longer or have more long runs? Not, no, not necessarily. Um, I do think there is, like I said, I think there's a benefit to doing a couple longer runs. Uh, when I trained for my first 50 K, I think I did two marathon distance long runs. So I did two 26.2. I did two, the, the original two S and G's were when I was training for my first 50 K just because I felt like, all right, if I could be a little bit more comfortable running 26 miles, I'd be a, you know, kind of in that window of needing to go five or six more miles for the 50 K. And I would be confident that I could do that. Um, and I will say that on, on the, the day of my first 50 K, like that first 26.2 miles, I felt fantastic. The last four, or well, I guess it was the last like seven miles. It eh, didn't feel quite as fantastic. Made it through though. Made it through though. So, you know, that type of thing can be, can be good. Uh, the one thing that I would say that maybe I learned the hard way and, and have certainly tried to implement from more for myself and for my, my athletes, uh, as I've learned more about ultra running and ultra training, um, mix in some back-to-back long runs. So, you know, maybe, maybe your total mileage for the, for two days in a row, whether it's a Friday, Saturday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, two, whatever, whatever days that you can, you can do kind of back-to-back runs, try to get something, maybe the first day. Um, it, it really doesn't matter. I mean, you could split it in half. You could go 15 and 15. You could go 20 miles one day, 10 miles or 20 and 15, whatever, but, but try to get, uh, a couple of runs where you're doing that second, a legitimately long run on the second day, with, with tired legs. So maybe it's, it's 10 miles and then 20, maybe it's 20 miles and 10, whichever way, um, you know, that fits for your schedule. But when you get up and you already have kind of some, some legs that aren't exactly excited and you go out and get another two, three, four, four hours on top of those tired legs, that'll give you that huge mental boost that will be like, all right, when I get to that point in the 50 K where I'm tired and my legs don't want to go, I've done tired where my legs don't want to go before. And I can do it again. And hopefully, you know, if you taper appropriately going into the 50 K, uh, as the race rolls around, um, your legs will be super fresh at the beginning. So you won't get to that tired point until you only have a couple miles left. And then it's just grinding it out for a couple miles and you'll be, you'll be able to do it. So, um, but you know, as far as a dramatic difference from a, a marathon training plan to a 50 K training plan, no, I mean, I, you know, there's a few little tweaks obviously with longer distances, things like that. Um, but nothing is not, not nearly as dramatic as if you went for a, a different ultra distance race beyond a marathon. So, uh, hope that makes sense, Lindsay. And, and obviously if you have more questions, just let me know. Speaking of more questions, she says, okay, one more question. 
question, which is a lie because she chimed back in with another question a, a couple days later, but I digress. One more question for now. I've been doing heart rate training for a year now. When I started, my average pace on a math test was 1030. Uh, now a year later, I average 1230. It looks like I'm getting really good at running slow. I like running slow, but I'm getting a little panicky that I'm headed in the wrong direction. My sleep is good. Eating habits are good. I'm pretty good at all the quote unquote little things. Is it possible that the heart rate is not telling the whole story? I'd say that 90% or more of my runs are easy. My heart rate really only rises above 140 when I run trails. Should I be doing some speed work or more of something else? So Lindsay, without knowing a little bit more of your specifics without seeing workout data and, and having maybe, you know, being able to ask some more pointed questions on this. Uh, and for anybody that's, that's kind of maybe in a similar, similar boat, something isn't right with your math test or with the numbers that you're seeing there. Um, because there's, there's really no way that if you're, if you're doing quote unquote, everything right, um, that your math results would be two minutes per mile slower after a year of dedicated heart rate training. Like, and I'm not, I'm not saying that, that, that you need to need to hedge my bets here a little bit and make sure I get my words right here. I'm not blaming you. Lindsay is, is the moral of the story, but something's not adding up, whether it's, it's how you're looking at your, at your results or how you worded your question. Um, Something's just not not adding up right. So um, the first thing I think that I would suggest is to double check that you're getting the math test done correctly. So when you when you do your math test, a, a few a few things, and, and there is a, a post that I did on this uh, from I don't know a year a year and a half ago. Um, again, linked up in the show notes. Just like there's a few links to different different uh, previous topics that we've discussed that are related to these questions. Uh, but Lindsay, once again, disruns.com/seven nine nine today. Um, you find your question, and then there's a link back to uh, a, a math. Uh, test uh, quick tip that I did a, a little over a year ago. Um, but uh, you want to, you know, just like you're doing any type of, of test, of course, we want to make sure that the, that the, uh, the, there's as few variables as possible. So our comparisons are, you know, apples to apples as opposed to apples and, you know, I don't know. What's, what's another, what's, what's something that's not even a fruit as opposed to apples and, and, and rose bushes, you know, like that's, that's not a fair comparison. And I, I'm wondering if there's, if there's some variable that you forgot to control for, um, or overlooked a little bit, that's, that's, that's a big result or a big reason that you got a two minute per mile difference. Um, I mean, if it was two minutes per mile faster, that would even be a little bit head scratching. Like that might be too much of, a, of an improvement. And, and even if it was a little bit slower, like that wouldn't be terrible if it was in the ballpark, but two minutes per mile slower. That's missing something there. So like I said, double check that you're doing the math test correctly. The, the quick version, you want it to be this, the, the exact same route every time you do the math test. So it's not just that you know, one four mile run is the same as one four mile run. No, 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 no. Your, your math test route needs to be exactly the same. Now, if you go to a track and do it there, easy peasy. If you're doing it in your neighborhood, make note of I go out my door and I turn this way and then I go to this place and I run this route and this side of the road, like everything you want to be as exact as possible. That's, that's the first thing that I'm wondering if maybe you got that, you know, been, been, you know, maybe one of them was more of a downhill. One of them was more of an uphill. Be like, Hey, it's four miles and why is my, well, that would be, that would be a big cause of it. Uh, two, you want to keep your heart rate window as narrow as possible. So for me, when I do most of my training runs, my, my, uh, heart rate limit is set for 141 on my watch. Anytime it gets to that, it beeps. I slow down when I do a math test. Um, 
I have a lower range as well. I keep, I try to keep it as close to between 138 and 141 as possible. Sure, sometimes it ticks up to 142, 143, so I back it down. Sometimes it drops down to 136, 134, um, and I pick it back up. But I'm, I'm trying to keep my heart rate as close to steady as possible. Is it ever going to be perfect? No. But if I try to keep it as close as possible to, to reduce that margin of error, to reduce one more variable... Absolutely. So if, if you don't have that lower range set, if you're just like, Hey, I, you know, keep my heart rate below 135. How come I'm running so much, you know, slower? Well, maybe you weren't running at 135 the whole time. Maybe you're running at 130, 125. You weren't, and you weren't, didn't quite notice it, you know? So, so I, I'm not saying you did, but I'm just saying these are some areas where you might have gone wrong, which would skew that, those, those results, which are then going to make you question, what am, am I doing? What is what I'm doing working? Well, you know, if, if you're not doing apples to apples, then that can get you, get you messed up. Another thing to keep in mind is weather. You know, my, my math results are skewed. I don't know, nine months of the year, <laughs> you know, anytime it's wicked hot, wicked humid, that's going to make it harder to, to run at a faster pace. So when I do my, my math test in January, which I'm planning to do after marathon training, after goofy training is all over you know, a couple of weeks after that, when I'm recovered and ready to go, I'm going to do a, a good math test. My anticipation is my, my results are going to be pretty fast compared to when I did it in, you know, August, or even when I do it in this upcoming year in July and August, when it's hot as blazes in Florida. You know, like doing it when, when the weather's cool, when there's not humidity or when there's no humidity, um, things like that, that's going to make the results better. Um, just simply from a physiological standpoint, I'm going to be able to run faster at the same heart rate when my body's not constantly worried about overheating the entire time. Um, but then just look at other variables. Make sure your shoes are the same. Make sure your warm up is the same. Um, all of those types of things can really impact the, the accuracy of the actual test itself. So that's the first thing I would say, assuming that you've got that all taken care of, assuming that, um, everything else is, is going well, that you really are running most of your runs easy, that, that diet and sleep and all those things are on point. Um, you know, also make sure you're not doing any caffeine before your, your math test, because that's going to speed up your heart rate, which is going to skew your results. Um, don't eat anything beforehand because digestion is going to speed up your heart rate, skew your results. Um, if, if all those things are, are equal, um, one other thing to check would be the accuracy of your heart rate. So again, if you're not using a heart rate strap, that, that can have a huge swing on your heart rate readings. If you're just relying on your, the, the optics of your, your Garmin or whatever type of watch you're using to read your, your quote unquote heart rate at your risk, which at your wrist, which again, I've, I've touched on this before, but spoiler alert, it's not really reading your heart rate when it's, when it's, when it's reading at your wrist. Okay. It's not. When you have a heart rate strap on, on your chest, it reads your heart rate. When it's at your wrist, it just reads blood flow, which is a lot of times close, but at higher intensities, it has a pretty big, it can have a pretty big margin of error. So maybe, maybe you've got that situation going on. Um, but if you are using a heart rate strap and everything seems to be like lining up right, replace the battery. Cause I've found that when my battery starts to go, um, my heart rate strap still works. But man, all of a sudden, like running super easy, my heart rate's way higher and it's, it bounces up and down. It's, it's really like, huh, what's going on? Change the heart rate all of a sudden everything or change the battery. All of a sudden everything's nice and steady again. So check the battery in your heart rate. If you haven't in your heart rate strap, if you haven't changed one recently, and that might solve your problem as well. So a whole host of things that might be, might be going on there. Um, I think it's safe to say that, that I feel like it's, I'm comfortable saying that, that the data that you're seeing is not telling the whole story. There's something, something's awry, something's amiss there. Um, but yeah, mixing a little bit of speed work once in a while isn't bad. You know, going back to the, to Maya's question, the first question of the day, maybe mixing in some strides once in a while, which is not going to really impact your heart rate 
training stuff, um, but still get a little bit of speed stuff in that might be helpful. Um, but I, but I can't go past the, the warning light that's going off in my mind that something, something isn't right with your math test with your, with your results. Something's, something's a little bit askew there. Uh, and I would encourage you to kind of dive into that first. Uh, and if there's something I can do to help or talk you through it or look at your data, let me know. And we'll, we'll kind of try to get that figured out. But I feel like your math, uh, your math tests or your, your data, your results from your math test, they're not, something's not right there because that, that really shouldn't be the situation if everything else like you're saying is pretty much on point. So, uh, sorry for that, Lindsay, but, uh, hopefully that helps and makes sense. And, and you can kind of get some, get things corrected. So that as you move forward into 2020 and continue on this heart rate training, pl- uh, bandwagon that you're on, uh, it can continue to, to work for you and you, you can actually see the results. Cause that's what, that's what we want to see with the math test is see the results of the work that you've been putting in. Uh, next question from Nancy, how far out do you actually pay the entry fee and commit to the race? I know it is variable for different distances, but we'd love to know what you and others do managing to pay out the entry fee. So Nancy, for me, it really, I, I am not a big time planner in advance. Um, I'm more of a like, Oh, there's a race in a couple weeks. Like, yeah, it's local. Yeah. I'll jump into it. And so that's what I'm paying, you know, a couple weeks out usually. However, if there's a bigger race, something that's a big, a bit of a goal race, um, you know, I'm thinking of like a Dis- if I'm going to do a Disney race, which I'm not, I don't do very often anymore, but if I'm going to do one of those, uh, I'm probably going to pay early because a graduated fee, so I can get it a little bit cheaper, but B those races do have a tendency to sell out. So, you know, if I'm going to, if I'm going to target, you know, a, a, a goofy race at some point or a marathon, um, I'm going to probably jump on that pretty early and make that a goal race. So I think that maybe that's really the ultimate thing is if it's a goal race, if it's a race I'm targeting to try to PR or have a, a, a destination race, there's a reason I'm trying to you go to this place to run this race. I'll probably register pretty early. If it's just something local, uh, a trail race, uh, I would say a 5k, but let's, let's not kid ourselves. I'm not going to run a 5k very often, but you know, a 5k, 10k, something local like that. I might just register a week or two beforehand. Um, I try not to wait till day of, because then I'm just like, eh, screw it. I'll just go run by myself. Um, but if I can, you know, get a couple weeks out, then that's, that's usually enough for me. Uh, that's probably where most things come just because I don't plan out far enough to, to, you know, really plan something out and, and register and pay for it three months early. Um, maybe I should do that. I don't know. But that's, that's kind of how I do it. A couple, couple weeks before the race for the most part, unless it's a big goal race. And then I'll get on that as soon as I decide to make it a goal race. That's when I'm, that's when I'm on it. So I uh, hope that kind of makes sense, Nancy. But you're right. It definitely depends on what type of race, distances, locations, things like that. There's a lot of variables in this. So it's kind of hard to just say one way or the other, kind of how it tends to work out. Uh, Lindsay, coming back from her trifecta with a, with a fourth question this month, which, hey, we, we encourage multiple questions. So no worries there. Uh, tell me what a warm up should look like if I'm heart rate training. I'm already running slow and easy. So do I need to walk to start out? What about the cool down? If my whole run was just easy, what am I cooling down for? How long should either warm up or cool down last? So Lindsay, I think that, that, um, I get what you're saying. I totally get what you're saying because I'm right there with you. Um, but I think you're, you're, and I think I was doing this for a while as well. I think we can, can easily mix, mix, easy for me to say, we can easily miss the point in thinking that our warm up cool down is only associated with our running. So all that to say, I would encourage you to start your warm up before you even step outside the door. I would encourage you to not finish your cool down until you're back inside the house. What does that look like? Well, for me, it looks like some jumping jacks for my warm up. looks like some jumping jacks, uh, some lunges, some leg swings, some, maybe some toe raises or things like that to kind of just loosen up my body, make sure it's ready to go. So that when I step outside the door, then I can start my, my running warm up, if you will, where, you know, I'm not going right to my, my math limit, 
right off the bat, but I'm, I'm gradually increasing it. So, and, it, and for me, it works out nice because I got the dog. So she's usually stopping to go to the bathroom once or twice in the first mile or so. So really even the first half a mile or so. So it's like, we'll run for a 10th of a mile and then she stops to pee. So I'm stopping there and my heart rate kind of levels back out a little bit, running easy again. Now she stops to go number two. So we stop there for a minute, uh, heart rate levels back out. And by the time, you know, we get to the spot to drop off the bag and get a new bag in case I needed that one. Uh, it's been a, it's been a little over half a mile. It's probably taken me seven or eight minutes at that point. Um, and then I can kind of, but, but, but then I'm warmed up and I'm ready to settle into my, my pace then and just kind of go. Um, Likewise, when I'm getting closer to the house, usually my, if you look at my if you look at my my data and look at it closely enough, usually the last half mile or so, I back it down a little bit. Uh, so I, I go from you know keeping my heart rate somewhat close to my my heart rate limit, and then I bring it down a little bit more to just kind of help to ease that down a little bit. Now, do I need to? Do you necessarily need to stop? You know, start with a walk and then ease into your run, and start with you know then come out of your run into a walk as part of your your run. Not necessarily. Some might say that's best. Probably that's best, but it's not something that I do. So I can't, I can't be too hypocritical there, but I think having a little bit of speed variance, a little bit of intensity variance for you and and those of us that are doing heart rate training, isn't a bad thing. It certainly isn't a bad thing. And then again, once you get inside the the house, your cooldown isn't necessarily done at that point. Do a little bit of stretching, do a little bit of foam rolling, do a little bit of stuff to just kind of, you know, help to, to allow your body to continue to, to slow down, to continue to cool down without just stopping and sitting. Um, but doing something that's, that's just a little bit of, of activity, very low intensity, very, very easy stuff, but stretching, foam rolling, um, things like that, that are going to help to just bring your, bring your heart rate back down gradually. Cause that's ultimately what we want. So, you know, is it as super vital as if you just finished hammering a, a, a tempo segment or a speed segment and you're just like, all right, well, I'm done now. Like, no, that, that, that you definitely need to have a bit more of a, of elongated cool down heart rate training. If you're running easy anyway, it doesn't need to be super long and drawn out but maybe think about it beyond just the front door. Start your warm up before you go out the front door. Don't finish your cool down until after you're back inside the door. Um, if, if time allows and, and some would say, and I don't think they're wrong that if time doesn't allow, then cut your run by a half a mile. So that time will allow, uh, because it is, it can be that important handful of questions left. We're starting to see the finish line, uh, already crossing the hour mark. Goodness gracious. Y'all are Loading up on questions this month, which is fantastic. Brooke asks, uh, one way to help plantar fasciitis is to walk barefoot to strengthen your feet, right? Any other exercises to help the feet? Not me. Uh, this is the, the quote unquote asking for a friend situation, which hopefully is, is actually true. Uh, it says, uh, someone in my family constantly wears shoes because she says her feet hurt if she doesn't. So, um, you know, one thing just to go kind of, uh, point of clarification here, Brooke is, you know, just because her feet hurt doesn't mean that it's plantar fasciitis. It probably is, but it doesn't necessarily mean that. So, you know, just, just disclaimer alert. Um, but you know, one thing that is easy to overlook, uh, when it comes to plantar fasciitis and a great thing to do for it is to stretch your calf and not just like stretch your calf for like, Oh, I held it for a 10 count. Um, but you know, get, like what I'll do, if I start to feel a little bit of plantar fasciitis issues coming on, which, uh, you know, coincidentally is something I've been dealing with a little bit lately, which I'm kind of frustrated about, but it's, it's getting better. Um, I'll go to a step in the house, put my, you know, put the ball on my foot on the step, lower my heel down, all my weight on that one foot, and then stay there for a minute, two minutes, three minutes, just stretching that one foot, that one calf for a pretty extended period of time. Then I'll switch and do the same thing on the other foot. If she's really got plantar fasciitis, this person in your family, um, stretching the calf is huge. Also, one of my biggest pet peeves, I don't know. It's not a pet peeve, but just one of the things that is easy to overlook is what kind of shoes are you wearing on a regular basis? So maybe this isn't your, your family member here, Brooke, but just in general, 
If you're wearing heels on a regular basis, that can really shorten your calf. And I'm not just talking to the ladies here. Although ladies, you know, you maybe get a bad rap because shoes and cute and high heels and yada, yada, yada. But fellas, if your dress shoes, your work boots have a, a heel on them, something like an inch or so, maybe three quarters of an inch, that's enough over time when you're wearing those shoes eight hours a day, 10 hours a day, 12 hours a day, five, six days a week, that's enough to cause you some problem. So if you can get into flat shoes or as close to flat as possible, um, that can be really helpful too. And again, stretching, just stretch the heck out of the calf, out of the Achilles, both with the leg straight and with the knee bent slightly. That's going to help a lot with plantar fasciitis. So, um, and, and also you're right, Brooke, being barefoot is great to help strengthen the feet, help to get range of motion, help to make the, the bustle, the, the bustles, the muscles and bones, uh, move and flex and, and stretch and work. Um, those are all good things as well. So, uh, do those, you know, she can do those, that type of stuff, try to get out of the, the shoes as much as possible. Um, but if she's, if her feet are hurting too much, start with stretching the calf and see if that doesn't help right there. Uh, next question from Barb. Break out your your crystal ball. Is there a way to calculate your potential? What is a reasonable improvement that you could expect to make in your race time if you stick consistently to a training plan, fuel your body with good food, sleep well, do the strength training, all the little things? What else can you do to give yourself an edge? Oh, Barb, I, I, I don't think, I, I mean, I don't know of any way that you could calculate your potential. Uh, there's so many factors at play. Obviously, all the things you mentioned, but there's also things that are completely uncontrollable, like, you know, just other external factors in your life, your genes, your genetics, you know, that, that type of stuff, how, you know, how old or young you are, you happen to be, um, you know, there's, there's so many things that are going on that are going to impact your potential that to try to calculate it is, I, I don't even know where you would start. That said, I think that there's that, that a lot of us and probably myself, absolutely included, uh, sell ourselves short of what, of what, is realistically possible. It's like, Oh, I could never do that. Or, Oh, it must be, I wish I was, I was blessed with that ability. Yet there's so many people that I've talked to on the, on the show. So many people I've talked to in real life or on social media who, you know, aren't dramatically different than me. Um, as far as age, uh, experience, et cetera, et cetera. We started out from about the same place. Um, and they're light years faster, running farther, whatever than me right now. Um, and I think that a, a big part of that is that I just kind of sell myself short most of the time. I don't, I don't, I don't think I could ever do that. Whereas as maybe in, in those situations, people are like, hell yeah, let's do it. Let's, let's make it happen. And they get it done. So I think that if, you know, to, to try to answer your question, what can you do to give yourself the edge? Just believe that you can do it. Just have that self-belief, whether that's, whether that's, that sounds a bit woo woo, whether it's having a vision board, whether it's doing affirmations, whether it's visualizations, whatever it is, just don't, don't tell yourself you can't do something without trying without giving it a good on a shake, just don't say, Oh, I could never qualify for Boston because I still have to take an hour and a half off of my, my best marathon time. Well, yeah, you probably won't qualify for Boston your next marathon, but you know, why, why can't you be on the, the, the same trajectory that I'm on of getting, getting a little bit faster and getting a lot older. And eventually, you know, the, the lines line up, you know, keep, keep running, keep working towards those, those big goals. Keep believing that it's something that you will be able to do. And who knows, who knows? You may never get there, but you might get a whole lot farther than you would have if you thought about, oh, uh, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't know if I could, um, you know, think positively, see what happens and go from there. Uh, but, uh, you know, as far as trying to calculate potential, I, I oof, that's, that's a, that's a losing battle right there because who, who knows, who knows? Um, but you know, keep doing the right things and you never know. You never know what might shake out. So hope that that helps Barb. Hope I'm not dodging your question too much, uh, but something to definitely think about. Um, question from Tom, 
How does alcohol consumption affect running performance, especially the next day? I'm a light drinker, but I may have a beverage on New Year's Eve, uh, and I'm also scheduled to run a 5K on New Year's Day. So uh, let's let's uh, you know not not uh, try to kid ourselves. Alcohol not exactly a performance enhancing type of of uh, a substance, right? Uh, you're, you're, most people aren't going to probably get uh, shammered the night before and show up on uh, on race day and, and go out and hammer it. All right. There's, there's always that one guy though. Uh, but most of us, that's probably not going to be the case. Uh, so, you know, how does having a beer or two or, you know, drink or two the night before make it, make a difference? Um, you know, I, I think it, it really kind of comes down to, to what your frequency is. Like, so for me, I feel like I can have a drink and go out and have a decent run. Now, am I going to have a drink the night, which, which I have a drink several nights a week, three or four nights a week. I usually have a a drink. Uh, so it's not like, you know, I'm not, not getting wasted. I'm not getting pickled or anything like that, but you know, I, I feel like I can handle a drink and go out and run the next morning. Um, that said, I don't very often have a drink before my long runs. I don't very often have a drink before a race. Um, so, you know, if I'm trying to set myself up for maximal success, I'll probably abstain the night or two beforehand. Um, so I, I guess my, my answer then is that how, how does it affect your, your performance? Well, it's not going to help it. It's probably not going to hurt if you just have a drink here and there, especially if you, if you drink somewhat regularly. So for you being a light drinker, maybe it'll have a little bit more of an effect. I don't know. Uh, but it also depends on your goals. You know, I think if you if your goal is to really go out and hammer your new year's day race, then I really wouldn't have a drink, you know? I mean, I, I, I would say my, my goal for race day is more important than having a drink at a New Year's Eve party. If your goal is to just go out and run a 5K and have fun and, and you know push a little bit, but you're not worried about a PR on, on the New Year's Day race, then have some champagne, have a beer, have a glass of wine, whatever, have a, have a tequila, you know, whatever, whatever floats your boat uh, the night before Tom, and don't, don't worry about it. And you'll be fine to go out and run. You'll have no problem running 3.1 miles. Um, you know, you'll be fine, but I wouldn't. If it was me, and I'm really going to try to hammer it the next day, uh, I'm not going to have a drink the night before. I'm just not going to, um, because it does impact quality of sleep. It, you know, there's there's physiological impacts of even just a little bit of alcohol, and and you know, if I'm if the race the next day is important, maybe uh, back off of it. Uh, and then Barb chimes in to piggyback off of this or magnify it, perhaps. How much would attending beer and food tasting festival two days before a half marathon affect your performance? As in, can you eat slash is in all you eat can eat slash drink in the past. I've abstained two weeks prior to a half, but this beer festival is unmatched and I'm thinking I already know the answer, but I'm hoping I'm wrong. So again, Barb, I mean, it's, it's really it comes down to your goals for the race. You know, if, if, if you've been trained well and you're fit and you're ready to go for the half marathon and you go out and, and have a few too many beers two days before your, your race, you know, whatever, you'll be fine. You'll be fine on race day to, to go out and run it. Are you going to PR? I mean, I'm not going to say you can't, but I'm not going to say it's as, as likely as if you don't have anything to drink uh, crazy two days beforehand. Um, but you know, if you if you go to the the the, the uh, food and, and beer fest on Friday, have all of the foods and drink all of the beers, and you, you're half pickled. Uh, but then Saturday, you're drinking plenty of water, eating healthy, uh, laying low. You may not feel like a million bucks on Sunday morning for the race, but you should be able to go 13.1. You know, so. I think you can do it, but you can't, you can't think that I'm going to go out and just get, get shit faced. And then I'm going to go out and run a PR two days later. Like it could happen, but eh, not as likely. So, uh, just kind of keep, what, what are your race goals in mind and use that to steer your decision when it comes to alcohol a day, two days, three days before your race. Um, 
Closing in on the, the final uh, sprint here, uh, another question from Tom. What is your position on fruitcake? What is your favorite Christmas cookie? Fruitcake, hard pass. Although, to be honest, I've never really had any fruitcake. So I don't know what I'm... I don't even know what I'm missing. But it's kind of enough stereotype about fruitcake has uh, is intruded into my, my mind and taste buds that I'm just like, yeah, no thanks. Christmas cookies, easy answer. The uh, peanut butter ones that are the peanut butter cookies that you smash a... Uh, um, uh, Hershey's kiss in the middle of when they come out of the oven and it all kind of melts and goos together. Uh, those are hands down the best Christmas cookie. Uh, the other alternative would be the, uh, the, the, um, the, uh, Buckeye cookies where it's like a peanut butter ball that's cold dipped in chocolate and then kept cold again. Uh, those are, are pretty good. I'm, I'm a bit of a peanut butter, uh, chocolate fan in case, in case that hasn't been made clear over the years. Uh, you, you throw peanut butter and chocolate at me, I'm probably going to, you know, color outside the lines of my normal low carb diet to, uh, enjoy, to indulge a little bit at Christmas time. Uh, anything else, eh, whatever sugar cookies, candy cane cookies, those are, you know, whatever. I'm not hating on them, but the, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna indulge on those, but the, the peanut butter blossoms, uh, or the, the Buckeyes. Yeah, I'm, I'm in, I'm in for those for sure. Another question from Nancy eggnog or hot apple cider slam dunk, hot apple cider all day, every day, nothing against eggnog. Just nah, not really my jam anymore. I used to like some eggnog as a, as a kid. Um, now I'd rather just drink my drink my my bourbon without the eggnog, you know. So there's that. Uh, but hot apple cider, yeah, I'll, I'll take a I'll take a splurge on that. Uh, Maya comes in, kind of bookending the today's uh, Q and A episode. Uh, although there is one more question, so I guess not technically bookending. But here we go. Uh, how many Christmas cookies should I fuel with for a long run? I think I can only fit three in my flip belt. Asking for a friend, I call BS on the asking for a friend bit. But I will say this, how many Christmas cookies should I fuel with? All of them. As many as you want. As many as you want. Tis the season. Enjoy the festive times. Enjoy the, the, the fancy cookies, the fun cookies, the cookies that you don't get the rest of the year. Enjoy them. And if that's what you're using to fuel your long run, um, you know, kind of like the alcohol question, maybe don't plan on the, the most epic long run ever. But hey, you want to you have some, some cookies for fuel along the way? I am not going to stop you. Not at all. and I mean, shoot, that's that's ultra running, right? Every every ultra runner is like, hell yeah, chocolate chip cookies at an aid station. Like, yeah, sign me up. Kind of the same thing. So you know, go ahead, three, four, six, eight, ten, whatever, whatever you need, Maya, whatever sets well on your stomach. Uh, but enjoy the cookies and have a great long run. Last but not least, from Jen, this is kind of a, a more technical, actual like real quick, and I'm not the other ones aren't real questions, but actually like a serious question. What is the best stretch or strength building exercise for the SI joint? So. Uh, the technical answer here is that you're really not going to do much. Like the SI joint is a pretty immovable, uh, joint. Uh, it does move a little bit, but as far as like stretching, strengthening, like there's nothing like the, that's not really quite the right way to a- ask the question. I don't say that to, to poke fun, Jen, just, just, um, trying to, to make sure that, that my terminology is correct here so that I don't get people that are fact checking me going, well, you, you, you can't really, you, you're not stretching your SI joint. I know you're not stretching your SI joint. Um, but you know, kind of the, the muscles and, and, area that we're talking about, kind of the, the, the glutes, low back area. What are some stretch slash strength building exercises for that area? Stretching that, that area, um, because, well, first of all, it's, it's a tough spot to stretch. It's stuff, stuff, stuff. I haven't, I promise I haven't been drinking yet. Just my tongue is, is run out of, run out of juice at this point at, you know, 75 minutes deep. Um, but, uh, it's a tough spot to, to really focus on because there's so little movement there. But, a great stretch for it. Uh, things that, that stretch your glutes, stretch the lower back, stretch your hamstrings. So, so pulling the knee up to your chest, that's a good one. Um, pulling both knees up to your chest, also good to get that kind of low back upper glute area. Um, 
doing the figure four stretch where you're laying on the floor, put one leg across, you know, one ankle bent at the knee, rotate it out so the ankles across your other knee and kind of pull that other knee towards your chest. You kind of feel a deep kind of a piriformis type of stretch. So that kind of gets into the area a little bit. Um, you can do some twisting stretches where you're, you're twisting, uh, you know, twisting around and across, uh, the targets, the low back glute area It's a tough spot to stretch though. Let's not, let's not kid ourselves. Um, it's a tough spot, but all those types of things, forward fold, anything low back hamstring glute is kind of, kind of getting the area from a couple different directions. And hopefully it helps loosen up if it's overly tight. As far as strengthening, same thing. You're looking at core specifically lower back. So planks, hip extensions, bridges, um, clam, uh, maybe not clamshells so much, but donkey kicks, bird dogs, swimmers. Those are all great. Um, deadlifts can kind of get it a little bit as long as you're being careful to not, you know, depending on what you're dealing with issue wise, you may want to veer away from deadlifts for now. Um, but anything that, that works again, the glutes. So even some like reverse lunges could be good to work the glutes a little bit. Um, single leg deadlifts, uh, might be good. Uh, but anything that's, that's working the, the low back, uh, core area is going to help in that area as well. But again, hard spot to, to target specifically because that, that joint area doesn't get a whole lot of movement, right? You know, very low back, high hip area for those that aren't aware of what the SI joint is, sacroiliac joint, uh, which is, which is deep down in the, in the hip pelvis area. Like it just doesn't move. So it's hard to stretch, hard to target specifically for the strength training. Um, so better to kind of hit all the areas around it, which is why I'm talking about different stretches, strengthening exercises that work low, low back and kind of glutes and even, even the front core a little bit, you know, working your, your hip flexors can help, uh, working your, your abs can help your, your lower abs can help as well. So, uh, sorry, that's not a, a real straight answer, Jim, but it's a hard, it's like I said, it's a hard spot to, to hit. So you got to hit it from some different angles and hopefully that all makes sense. Whew. So with that an hour and 20 minutes later, let's wrap this thing up. Hey, eh? uh, y'all great questions this month. Thank you. Thank you to everybody who's asked questions this month. Thank you to everybody who's asked questions this year. Thanks to everybody who's asked questions in the last five years that we've been doing these, these Q and a episodes. I certainly appreciate it. And if you want to get your questions answered next month, the best place to do that is in the Facebook group. Look for that post that comes out middle of the month. And once again, disruns.com slash Facebook is the link to get there. You want memes, you want gifs, you want links to, to things that we talked about today. Disruns.com slash 799 is the link to get back there. And as always, please feel free to connect with me on social media at Disruns on all things social. Love to connect with y'all. Love to hear from you guys. And uh, my voice is going. I need more coffee. So I'm wrapping this thing up. But uh, hope that you've had a great 2019. Hope that uh, you have a great and safe, please be safe, uh, New Year's Eve, New Year's party, New Year's celebration going into the, the start of 2020. And uh, I hope that you have a, a banging 2020. If there's anything I can do to help you, near or long term in 2020 you know what place to find me uh, at Dizruns Dizruns at gmail.com um, obviously Dizruns.com slash Facebook get in the Facebook group ask questions there as well we're always happy to chime in and until next time be well take care thanks again for listening and uh, we'll talk soon alright take care guys happy new year